It's not over till it's over, baby. And uh, it's encouraging, and it's why we gather. It's to remind one another uh, that we no longer have to live as hopeless uh, people. Matter of fact, uh, Hebrews 3 reminds us in verse 12 and following, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you that has an evil and unbelieving heart that's leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ. And if indeed we do so, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so we gather today as believers to remind one another that, that he's alive and that we should honor him and worship him and live for him. But here's the friends, uh, here's the deal, friends. I think oftentimes if you live in a graveyard too long, you stop mourning when somebody dies. And I think oftentimes what happens is we forget to encourage and spur one another on and to live in community and to walk in repentance with our Lord and fellowship with Him and others in the light. And so today is a reminder of those things. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Hosea chapter 14. Uh, before we dive in here in a few moments, we're going to just pray together. and We're going to ask the Lord to use the word today to remind us. Uh, if you are new to Stone Point, we're grateful to have you. And I look forward to meeting you in person. If you have been away for a while and uh, you're back, hey, we're glad to have you back. And I look forward to hugging your neck and uh, just... Uh, encouraging you as we continue to uh, figure out what it looks like to, to live as the people of God in kind of this new and crazy world we're in. Um, but just encourage you to um, just, in a sense, I have eyes to see and ears to hear today. And uh, as we wrap up this series called A Faithful Husband and a Promiscuous Wife, as we've walked through 14 chapters of the book of Hosea, let's pray together and we're going to dive in with some encouraging and challenging news. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the reminder in Isaiah 55 that it will not return void. Uh, Lord, your word is powerful. Um, Lord, your word uh, is what, in a sense, divides the joint and the marrow. Lord, it is your word that not only brought about creation, but it's also about what uh, brings about recreation of the human heart. And uh, Father, we pray the Lord, that you would uh, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would enlighten us to your truth. And Lord, most of all, help us to walk in it. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't live in a, in a dark uh, place, chained to our past. But Lord, that we would experience the grace and the freedom uh, and the ability to have a new life in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, that we would not only find hope and healing and restoration for our own lives, but we would overflow hope and healing and restoration to other lives. And so, Lord, would you help us walk in your spirit and no longer gratify the desires of our sinful flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, if you've been with us, we have gone through 13 chapters over the, uh, the last three and a half months. Um, it has been a, 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 a great ride, but I'm sure if you've been with us throughout uh, the daily Bible studies and devotionals that we've offered online, and you've been with us every weekend, uh, probably in your flesh, you're tempted to say at the very end, like, I'm glad we're finally done with the book of Hosea. Uh, and if you've said that, then hey, listen, shame on you, uh, because... <laughs> Um, it's God's word. Now, uh, I can see that in our flesh, like you can get there, you know, uh, but I, I'll tell you what an incredible 
source of hope and encouragement. And I'll tell you, there's not been a day that's gone by that I'm like, man, I'm, I'm tired of this book because it's been just a constant reminder of God's goodness and his provision on my own life in ways that I have stumbled in the dark. And that's what uh, he is doing uh, through the prophet Hosea, to the people of Israel, through his example to his wife Gomer, who uh, was uh, a woman of infidelity. Um, Jose has been a constant source of God's provision and grace and hope in spite of persecution and struggle for the people of Israel who have, in a sense, stumbled in their own sin. And verse 1 just reminds us of that. Uh, The Lord tells the people of Israel to return. He says, return, O Israel, which is the hope of this chapter, and it's the hope of Israel and their God, the Creator, the one who sustained them. He, he says, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Uh, we see throughout the entire book they've stumbled. In chapter 4, verse 5, we have a clear indication of the same word stumbled, same in chapter 5, verse 5. But what he's saying is, he goes, what I want you to do is return. Take with your words, verse 2, and return to the Lord. In which when we were reading chapter 12, verse 6, we know that only comes by the help of our God. That in their depravity, in their foolishness, and their sinful rebellion, the nation had uh, chased after idols. Uh, they have, uh, in a sense, been allured away by uh, foreign allies, Assyria and Egypt, uh, to name a few. And they have, in a sense, sought refuge in other places. And the Lord has said, hey, look, you have sought after things, treasures that will not fulfill. And so come back. And then he says, and, and it is I who will take away iniquity, accept what is good, and, and we will pay with the bull of, uh, bulls of the vows of our lips. And that's what Israel was supposed to say to the Lord. They're to say, hey, look, God, we've missed it. And friends, that's exactly what this chapter is about. It's about the opportunity for Israel to come back to the Lord and say, we missed it. We missed it. We stumbled around in darkness. We fell in our iniquity. We have done foolish things in our depravity. We did what was right in our own eyes. We chased after carved images and molten images. And we got in a bed with foreign women. And we trusted in our allies and their strength. And we have made mistake after mistake after mistake. And the Lord says, that's okay, sinner. Come home. Come home. And that's all he wants them to do. In Hosea chapter 6, Hosea tried to warn them earlier uh, and says this, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he might heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. What the prophet is reminding them of is that they can return to the Lord. All they have to do is come and, and in a sense to acknowledge their iniquity, their sinfulness, their rebelliousness, and just come to the Lord and confess that to him. Not just with their lips, but with their lives. I'm reminded of of Psalm 51. If you remember, David uh, had an incident with this uh, woman named Bathsheba, and he went to Bathsheba, and uh, he and since seduced her, brought her home. It was not his wife, had a child with Bathsheba, uh, tried to cover it up, eventually had her husband moved to the front lines, Uriah the Hittite. Uh, he is killed. Um, David does all these different things. Finally, Nathan's friend goes to him uh, right before 
really his, his own son would die as a result of the consequences of his sin. And Nathan goes, hey, listen, you've been a fool. It's time for you to repent. And in Psalm 51, you get this incredible text of David's repentance. But in verse 17, he approaches the Lord with a broken and a contrite heart. And friends, that is what the Lord always desires from his people. Not merely uh, our, our lips and our words, but our lives. And it is about us coming and returning to the Lord in humility. We acknowledge the error of our ways, that we've lived in darkness, but we no longer do so. We come out of the darkness, live in the light, and we confess our sins. We repent. We acknowledge our error, and we say, Lord, will you forgive me? And God reconciles. He restores. Amen? What looked like it was over is no longer over because of the grave that has been conquered, the death no longer has a sting, 1 Corinthians 15. And so that is the word that we can be reminded of. In order for that to happen, uh, you see that Israel has to acknowledge a handful of things. In verse 3, it says that they'll acknowledge that Assyria shall not save us. Hey, that we're not going to ride on horses and we will say no more. Our God, uh, here's to the work of our hand, and in the orphan will find mercy. So what he's saying here is, Israel, when you realize the error of your way, he goes, there's a few things that you're going to begin to confess. One, you're going to realize that Assyria and national security is not what we're after, that we're not going to find our hope in allies, that we're not going to find our strength from horses or chariots or military conquest, that we're not going to find our hope there, that we're not going to find our hope in the gods who do not listen or speak or hear. That our, our God's little g, uh, the ones that we made with our hands, aren't going to fulfill. And so we ask the Lord to find us as orphans and aliens and strangers to bring us home. And that's what he desires for Israel. And he goes, and that's what you'll get. He goes, I will heal their apostasy, verse 4. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. He goes, here's how it happens. He goes, when a sinner repents and acknowledges the error of their ways, he goes, God is so gracious to forgive. Friends, that is the character of our great God. He goes, all you have to do is draw near to him. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. He goes, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He goes, there's a point in our lives where we just come before the Lord and we acknowledge our apostasy. We realize that we have um, taken a path of destruction and we come to him and we ask him to change our hearts and our minds. The challenge is, is that oftentimes it, it takes a great weight of pressure for us to realize that. Uh, have you ever heard the expression that in order for somebody to return to the Lord or repent, they have to hit rock bottom? And oftentimes that's what we discover in life, that oftentimes we are taught more by pain than we are by the precepts of God's word. And that's the incredible thing about God. Oftentimes he'll allow us to learn by his instruction and he has given us everything that we need and which we'll discover here in a few minutes that pertains to life and godliness. Like he's given us his word and it will abide with him, will bear much fruit. If we will live in community uh, and we'll practice the uh, art of confessing and repenting, he goes, you will have great life. But he goes, some of us don't want to learn like that. And Israel did not either. Israel wanted to learn by pain. And so he says, listen, you'll learn by pain. And what's interesting, Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He goes, hey, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
But he goes, he goes, it's your choice. Like, he goes, if you want, he goes, you can be grieved by the words that I've written. And he wrote some pretty difficult ro- uh, words to the church of Corinth. But he goes, if I helped you see clearly and it brought about real repentance, then he goes, praise the Lord. Because he goes, if you offer uh, a repentance that's not genuine, he goes, all it does is produce death. What he's acknowledging is simply this. Paul says, if we confess with our lips, but it doesn't move our hearts to God, he goes, it's not genuine and it won't last. That's the difference between emotional decisions and true conviction. Real quickly, it's one of the reasons we don't give altar calls. I don't want to move someone to, um, to a fake conviction that doesn't lead to genuine repentance. The reason that, that you, in a sense, are convicted and you make a decision is because it sticks. And if it sticks today, Sunday, it'll be there tomorrow morning on Monday. Now, don't get me wrong. Today is the day of salvation, and today we might need to respond. But the reality is, is that we want to make sure that it's godly grief that produces to repentance uh, in us. We want to, in a sense, learn from his word and ways. Verse 5 says this, I will be like the dude to Israel. God says, when they come to me with a broken and contrite heart, when they acknowledge the error of their ways, he goes, I will be like the dude. He goes, he shall blossom like the lily, uh, which is Israel. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. What he says, he goes, there is going to be a rain of refreshing. He goes, I'm going to nourish them. I'm going to provide for them. They are going to be like the lily, which produces over and over and over again from just one bulb. He goes, it's going to, in a sense, be the idea of fruitfulness. They're going to take root. They're going to be like the trees of Lebanon, in which sinks their roots deep down. In verse 6, he goes, matter of fact, their roots are going to spread out. Because they're going to be strong, they're going to be stable, they're going to be true. They're not going to be easily moved. He goes, their beauty is going to be like the olive tree, which is not only beautiful, but also produces a fruit that can be eaten. They're going to be like the fragrance of Lebanon. It's going to be a nation that is desired. It's going to be a nation that is a fragrant offering before the Lord. Which, interesting enough, isn't that what Paul encourages us to do, is to be a fragrant offering before the Lord. That's what believers do. That's what people who follow Christ do. And the Lord of heaven and earth do. Verse 7 says, They, meaning Israel, shall return and they will dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. When you read this passage, verses 6 and 7, if you want, you could just take and draw a big old clump of grapes over the top of that. That's what I did in my Bible. The reason why is because it just reminds you of the fruitfulness that God is going to establish with this nation. And what he said from the beginning, he goes, listen, if you want, he goes, I'll make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to keep you. I'm going to make my face shine upon you and you're going to walk in my ways and I'm going to give you everything you need. Coincidentally, you might even be reminded of the time where they came to the door of Kadesh Barnea and they sent out spies into the promised land. Ten of them came back and, and um, reported one thing and two of the others reported another. Do you know what they reported? Even though there were giants living in the land, one of the things they said is the fruit is amazing. Oh, the graves are so large. That's what happens in the life of those who believe God and they follow him in his goodness. They bear fruit. And you see that that fruit is, is something that flourishes like grain, like a blossom in the vine, and it is like the wine of Lebanon. What you see is a richness and a nourishment and a freshness that is extending to all the people. 
And, and what's interesting is, is that if you think about this text, it is in contrast to what you've seen in previous chapters of Israel being a dry, a weary, and a parched people. Because you don't have to be that. You don't have to be a people who always mope around in darkness. Everything is gloomy. Glass is always half full. You're always downtrodden. You're always super sorrowful. You're always living in the graveyard. Because you don't have to be that. Because you can be the people of God that sink their roots down deep and you are different. Reminds me of Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then just as you received Christ, continue to live in him. Being rooted and built up strengthen the faith as you've been taught, overflowing with thankfulness. One of the great marks of the believer is that there is joy in the midst of sorrow. There is hope in the midst of pain. There is sun in the midst of darkness. That is the life of the believer, and you will bear much fruit. How do you do that? It's because you have a stable, fixed foundation. The Lord says, Israel, you have wandered off. You have squandered what I've given you. You have looked to other people and other nations and other, other little gods for, for your stability. You didn't find it there. Come home, sinner. Come home. I'll give you everything you need. And the Lord says, I'm going to allure Israel. In verse 8, he says, O Ephraim, what do I have to do with idols? He goes, there is no sin found in me. Malachi reminds me that he, he doesn't look upon sin. And so he goes, it is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. From me, it is I who comes your fruit. So he goes, you're, you're not producing anything on your own. You never have. He goes, everything I give you is a blessing from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, friends. Amen? Every good and perfect gift is from our Heavenly Father who delights to see His people Live in fruitfulness. And in verse 9, he sums it up. And he sums it up in a way that makes a lot of sense. He goes, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Okay? He goes, hey, if you are wise, if you have a mind that can discern, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, he goes, discern these things. Because whoever is discerning, he says, you'll see it evidence in the way you live your life. He goes, because you'll know these things. So he says, let them know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright will walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Here's what he does. Hosea says, listen, the Lord is calling us to return. He wants us to bring about a broken and contrite heart. He wants to see repentance in us. As we acknowledge the error of our ways, we come in humility. He'll restore us. He'll bring about righteousness in us, and he'll help us to keep on a path that is straight. And friends, every single one of us, are coming to a place in our life where ultimately there are, uh, are paths that divulge in the road. There is one that, that is going to take you one way and one the other. One is going to be less traveled and one is going to be more traveled. Coincidentally enough, the one that is less traveled is the one that actually is most straight. It is the one that is, brings light and life and it brings about righteousness. And yet the challenge is, Jesus says, few will find it. He goes, but there's another one, and it's far more enticing, because when you look at it, our lives, which particularly those of us who love dangerous, danger, are intrigued by this path. We look at it, and we see its darkness. We see the, the fact that it is crooked, and it in some ways entices our inner soul, because it feels dangerous. In some ways, it, it entices us in, and we, we go, and we take this path, and we stumble over and over and over on the 
the fierce terrain, uh, we oftentimes find ourselves entangled in, in the viney trails, and we find ourselves even getting to the middle of our path, and we wondered why in the world we chose this path. We have learned many things. We have fallen many times. We have stumbled along the way, and we even look up in the middle of our path, and we go, how in the world did I get here? And it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be a life of hard knocks. It didn't have to be a life of pain. And yet we chose oftentimes that way. And the Lord is saying, listen, the upright in heart will choose a path that is straight. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him that he may make your path crooked. No, straight. I'll make your path straight. I will help you to walk in an upright manner. Fix your eyes on me, the writer of Hebrews says, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And friends, it's our choice. And he goes, Israel, you did not fix your eyes on me. You stumbled along. Matter of fact, in Hosea chapter 5, verse 5, uh, Hosea said it this way, Moreover, the pride of Israel, Israel testifies against him to his face. And Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity, and Judah also stumbled with them. What's interesting about this, he goes, when you take a path of unrighteousness and you stumble in your ways, guess what? You're not the only one who stumbles, brother. You take your wife with you, you take your children with you, you take your cousins and your aunties and your uncles, all with you. He goes, it, it is consequences, and he goes, just as Ephraim and Israel in the north stumbled, he goes, Judah saw what you did, and they stumbled as well. And so the question then becomes, well, if there's a path that leads to righteousness, and God desires to restore his people, will he? And here's the promise. As I read the Bible and the scriptures, and as I interpret them, I believe wholeheartedly that God, in his goodness and his kindness and his benevolence, is going to restore Israel. This rebellious nation that has, in a sense, wandered aimlessly for centuries is one day soon going to be restored to him. I believe they still have a handful of difficult, painful experiences before they'll look up and they'll see the Lord of heaven and earth and they'll declare his goodness. But one day it'll happen and the Lord says, you'll be my people and I'm going to be your God and I'm going to shepherd you the way I always desire to shepherd you. And you're going to have a Davidic king. His name's Jesus and there's going to be a throne and he's going to rule on it and there's not going to be pain or the old order of things, the rebelliousness that you've had, because you're going to have a perfect ruler. He goes, that's the promise. Now, here's the deal. Let's not talk just about Israel. Let's talk about us. What about us? Can we walk in a manner that's upright? And can we continue to live in a place that our path is straight, even though we've all stumbled many times in darkness? Here's what I want you to just understand. Three, three quick things. Number one, friends, I want you to understand that when you stumble in the darkness, it reveals something about you. Stumbling in darkness reveals something about you. Um, the other morning, uh, I had a meeting uh, really early in the morning. It was a Friday. It was actually Friday morning. And uh, I got up about 4.30. And uh, as I am going to make my way out to the car, I have to go through the shop to get to the car, raise the garage door. And as I, I'm making my way to the garage door, I've got my backpack and my Bible. Everything's in hand. 
I got my keys and I got kind of ready. And I'm walking through uh, this about 15-foot path to the garage door in which I'm going to hit the garage door to make it raise. And I stumble across one of those old-school Tonka toys. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The big, clunky Tonka toys, metal Tonka toys. That's what I hit, and I stumble. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what my flesh did because uh, I was pretty frustrated in that moment. Uh, but then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, here's, I'm stumbling in the dark. And, and then I'm like, why don't my kids pick up the toys? Like, pick up your toys and get your junk out of the path, right? Because it's not a difficult path. All you got to do is move them over here to the left, and I can clearly get to the garage door and open it. The problem is I started thinking about all the obstacles that could have particularly been in the way. And then I realized that it really wasn't my kid's fault, was it? You know why it wasn't my kid's fault? Because in between uh, the, the pathway and the door in which I'm going to hit the, the garage door button to make the garage door open, uh, as soon as I open the, the door to kind of go through the shop, there's a light right here that if I just hit that light on for just a second, it's just one light, one little single light that illuminates just that pathway that if I'll just hit it real quickly, I could have made my path straight. The problem is I didn't want to do that. I thought it's going, to be a, it's going to be a cumbersome thing to go 15 foot, hit the garage door open, and then come back and turn that light off to make sure everything's fine. So I made my own way, stumbled in the dark. Anybody ever stumble in the dark? Yeah? Some of you, you did it last night. You, you were searching after some Oreos at 2 in the morning, knocked something off the counter, you got busted. Right? It happens, right? The question is, is why, why do we stumble in the dark? We stumble in the dark because we can't see clearly. We stumble in the dark because it is indeed dark. We stumble in the dark because there are obstacles in the way, and we stumble in the dark most of all because we're not in the light. It's just a little bit of light illuminates the dark. The problem is, is that Israel stumbled in the dark, and we too oftentimes stumble in the dark. And I get it. Here's the thing is that as believers in Christ, I think oftentimes we believe in our minds that we are to stumble in the dark. Like we believe that because we are Christians doesn't make us exempt from darkness. Matter of fact, we oftentimes say, I'm a sinner, and I'm always going to kind of be that way. The problem is, is while James even reminds us of that in James chapter 3, verse 2, he says it this way, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. He goes, we are going to stumble, and I get that. The question is, is are you and I content to always stumble in the dark? Because that was a problem for Israel. Why would that not be a problem for us? Can you and I be like Israel and say, you know what, we're going to chase after foreign things. We're going to find our hope and our stability in other nations or even in some ways mankind or military might or economic prosperity and also claim that we're living in the light. And I would say I don't think that's what the text would encourage us to do. Matter of fact, I think the text is encouraging us to do is to walk closely with the Lord and to leave the air of our foolish ways. And we can only do that with the Holy Spirit's help. But the question is, is are you and I going to continue to walk in darkness? And I love the fact that John the Apostle addresses this in many different ways. Matter of fact, in 1 John 1, 5 and 6, he says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then in verse 6, he says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, hey, we are going to stumble. John, the apostle, says, okay, you might stumble, but the question is, is how many times are you going to take the path of darkness and how many times are you going to continue to stumble and it be okay? Because if you're continually walking down the path of unrighteousness and in darkness and you claim to have fellowship with a God who is light, 
Then he goes, maybe you're confused. And here's why I say that. If God is light, and John says, the apostle, no darkness is ever found in him at all. Malachi, the prophet, reminded us last week that he can't even look upon darkness or sin. The question is, is where does God exist and where does he live? He lives in light. So everybody say with me, one, two, three, light. One, two, three, light. He lives in the light. So friends, if God is in the light and we are in the darkness, then guess what? We are not living with the Lord. We are living in darkness. John, the apostle, says, hey, don't be confused that if you're living with the Lord, you're going to live in the light, not in darkness. If you're going to claim that that, that that is something of the opposite, he goes, the truth's not found in you. John says it this way in John chapter 3 as he was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus um, about being born again, living in the light, that God loved the world, that if you would believe in him, you could have eternal life. And then a couple of verses after that, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who is the light that came into the world? His name was what? Jesus. So Jesus comes to the world. He's light. And he goes, and people uh, chose to love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He goes, so it's a very clear deal. He goes, to live in light means that it's upright and it's righteous and it's holy. To live in the dark means that it's evil and it's darkness rather than the light. That the two don't mesh. They're oil and water. Verse 20 in John 3, he goes, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what he says is, he goes, believers in Christ live in the light. So the question is, if you've continually stumbled in the dark, how long have you been there? And do you continue to do so? And if you do, the question is not why you're in the dark, but the question is, is why do you believe you're in the light? Because John says you can't claim to be in the light and continue to stumble in the dark. And what I want you to realize is that our stumbling in the dark reveals a whole lot about us. And here's what I want you to realize more than anything. It doesn't reveal that you're just foolish, although that can happen, right? It reveals that we're not walking closely with the God of light. I believe it probably reveals something more, and that is that we probably don't know the God of light. Now, real quickly, lean in with me so you're not confused. The way you know whether or not you know the God of the Bible and you walk closely with Him is how long you've stumbled in the dark. The key is not, have I stumbled? The question is, is how often and do you continue to stumble in the dark? Have you had a pattern of stumbling in the dark for the last 30 years? Then you're probably not walking with the God of light. The question is, is what does the pattern look like in your life? Do you have the same pattern in your life every three weeks? Do you do the same things every time you get a little money in your hands, a paycheck? Every time that you have a fight with your husband or your wife, is that when you find yourself, in a sense, finding a, new, a different pattern? See, what he's saying is people that are of the Lord walk in a manner that's upright, in the light. He goes, you'll find yourself living in the light. And when you live in the light, he goes, you leave the darkness behind. It's not that you won't stumble occasionally. It means that you don't stumble habitually over and over and over again and say, man, I love God. I just can't get past this problem. And the reason we can't say that is because God says, bring it into the light. And when you bring it into the light, you put everything as a focus on it, and then you begin to squash it, kill it, and you take the problem, in a sense, you squash it. 
But you have to acknowledge first or foremost that maybe I'm not living a light. The second thing is, is this, is that if you realize that oftentimes the dark will remind you about something, you need to also remember that it's confession and the repentance that brings it into the light. Okay? So maybe it is that you're in darkness. The other determining factor of whether or not you're a believer in Christ is the pattern in which you bring it into the light. So the question is, is do I keep it in the dark? Does anybody know about this secret? Or do I bring it into the light? Because believers in Christ bring it into the light. And listen, not because they're caught, but because they have a pattern of confession. See, that's also a huge difference. If every time you bring in the light is because you were caught, then it doesn't reveal a heart that wants to live in the light. Because people who have hearts that want to live in the light continually bring it to the light. And you might ask yourself, well, how in the world do I bring it into the light? Well, John says it's easy. You walk in light. So here it is, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. He goes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise Jesus. That's huge. Verse 8, if we, can, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, which I don't see that being a challenge for most of us in this room. He goes, and the truth would not be in you if you decided to say that. But he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So he goes, believers in Christ, he goes, here's what they do. He goes, when they stumble in the darkness, they acknowledge that. They turn and they go a different direction. They bring that before our Heavenly Father and they go, God, I have been a bonehead. I have sought my own provisions and resources. I gratified the desires of my flesh, Galatians 5. I stumbled. I've fallen. I've eaten of the dirt. I don't want to do that. I feel like I'm living among the pigs. I want to come home. And you repent and you follow the Lord. And you leave the darkness and you live in fellowship with the light. And so you have this pattern of confession and repentance, which brings everything in the light. The question is, so does that mean I just get to confess to the Lord? Is that what Israel got to do? They just confess to the Lord? And the answer is no. It's not just a confession to the Lord. It's also a confession to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Matter of fact, that's what we see in James chapter 5, verse 16. James says, hey, therefore, we should confess our sins. That means bring them into the light. The reason we confess our sins is to bring them into the light, not to glorify our sins, not to make much of our sins, but to bring them into the light to one another so that we could pray for one another. Why do we pray for one another? Well, he tells us that you might be healed. Because your prayer heals? No, because the God of the Bible who hears our prayers heals. Matter of fact, he finishes that. He goes, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. So he goes, here's what a, here's what a believer looks like. This is what Israel was to do. Israel was to acknowledge the error of their ways. They were to confess to God and then confess to one another the areas they've missed it. And they were to return to the Lord with a broken and contrite heart. And they were to live in light. And friends, that's what the, the New Testament is encouraging us to do. He goes, here's what it looks like. If you realize that you've stumbled in the dark too long, he goes, quit stumbling, run to the Lord, seek him, live in the light, and then continue to do that every single day. And you do that by confessing your sins, seeking repentance, and going a different direction. It's not a one-time-and-done deal. It's a continual deal. It's a continually living and abiding with the Lord. And we do that not just by God's Word, which is true, but we also do it in fellowship with other people. And we do it by confessing and repenting and seeking forgiveness and making amends when we've hurt others because we might have, in our sin and our foolishness and our recklessness, we might have actually hurt somebody else. So we have this continual pattern of working through these things. Friends, that's what believers do. Matter of fact, um, one of the reasons that I'm in a journey group, 
primary reason that I'm in a journey group is for fellowship with other people who are like-minded, but also so that I can relate to other people in confessing sin. It's not so that I go to the journey group and they teach me more about the Bible. That's not the goal. It's not to, to open up my Bible and say, hey, somebody teach me more about my Bible. What, what I don't need as a part of fellowship with other people is for people to make me smarter sinners. What I need is to have a place where I can come and acknowledge, and, and I can think through the last probably, I would say, half a dozen or dozen journey group meetings that I've been a part of, and I can think of every single meeting a way that I've confessed sin to our group every time. And that, that, could, that could range from a variety of means. It could be a way that I'm dealing with my wife and haven't done so graciously or kindly. It could be something around our children or the way that we parent. Um, it could be something that I've confessed in the last couple of months is the way that I care for the temple of the Holy Spirit, not doing that well. Um, it could be around um, slothfulness or, or laziness in the home. It could be abdicating my responsibilities as a, as a husband, particularly maybe even as a pastor. Um, it could be a variety of means. It could be something I've seen, something I've heard, something I've done. But the reality is, is it's confessing sin. It's bringing things into the light. And it's practicing that because that's how God does a work in me. And friends, that's why we live in community. We don't live in community because people make us live in community. We live in community because God's people realize that community is a way to live in the light and stay in the light. And you know, that's what Israel needed. Israel needed to stay in the light, and yet they kept stumbling in the dark. Why do they stumble in the dark? Because God's not in the dark. And so he goes, live in the light. And here's what I would tell you. When you live in the light, reconciliation happens. Reconciliation happens with both God and other people. Reconciliation happens with God when we confess our sins uh, and we ask him to pay for our sins and ransom them through the, his son Jesus. That's what we'd call salvation. But the process of salvation, after we've forgiven once and and for all, totally, for all of eternity, all of it punished on, on the crucifixion of Christ, we then also live in a process of what's called sanctification, in which we grow in Christ. And sanctification is merely what I'm talking about, is where we no longer stumble in the dark, but we work on reconciliation. Reconciliation is making things right with other people, because when we do that, we keep things in the light, and that keeps us from stumbling in the dark. Matter of fact, let me close with this. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter chapter. Um, 1, verses 3 and following. This is what he says, and I, I encourage you to lean in and, and look after this because this answers all of it for me. Verse 3, Peter says, His divine power, meaning God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Some things or all things? All things. Are y'all, are y'all with me? All things. He goes, I have given you power to bring about all things to you that deal with life and godliness, everything, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted us the very precious and great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine truth. Circle that in your Bible if you have it. You and I can now have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Your sin, your addiction, your darkness, all of it's right here in God's word. That could be from anxiety to depression to drugs, to alcohol, to pride, to arrogance, to greed, to infidelity, to everything. Right here, God deals with it in His Word. 
And he goes, and if you'll, if you'll trust him, he goes, he wants to make it clear to you. And here's why. He goes, because I am not only giving you the great and precious promises, but he goes, I am making you partakers of the divine nature. Catch that. The divinity of God is making you a partner with him in his divine nature. The deity of God, just as it was dwelling in Jesus in all his fullness, also dwells in us. The Spirit of God lives in us. Amen? Amen. And so because of that, we do not have to stumble in the dark anymore. And so if we're going to stumble in the dark, he goes, if you're a part of the divine nature, then he goes, there's a problem. Why? Because we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires. He goes, when we partake of God's goodness and he lives in us, he goes, we can't claim that we have fellowship with with the light, but we continue to stumble in the dark. He goes, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. He goes, there's a point where we leave the dark and we leave the crooked and the wretched path. And he goes, and we, we, we follow a path that's straight. And then Peter says this, for this very reason, you should make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. He goes, for this reason, you ought to abide with the word, is what he's saying. He goes, you ought to live with the Lord daily. You ought to do that. Why? Because that's how you produce knowledge that is partnered with self-control. And then self-control, the more that you walk in the spirit and no longer gratify the flesh, he goes, you see steadfastness. And the more you see a steadfastness, that you're walking down the same path continually day after day, you stop stumbling, he goes, look up and you go, wow, I've produced in me some self-control. And, and not only that, there, now there's godliness. And godliness brings about brotherly affection. Why? Because we begin to deal with others differently. And he goes, and that brotherly affection brings love, which is the very thing that marks the life of the believer. And he goes, and if these qualities are yours, they ought to be increasing because they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? He goes, if you, if you live in the dark continually over and over and over in the same pattern and nothing ever changes, he goes, you're either not abiding with the Lord, and you don't know him, or your heart's far from him. He goes, it's that clear, which makes it easy as a pastor to determine who's walking with the Lord closely and who's not. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. I can spend literally 5, 10, 15 minutes with a person. I can know exactly where they are with just a handful of thought-provoking questions. Why? Because it's simple. He goes, you will see these qualities increasing. And he goes, verse 9, but whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. They've forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Confirm your calling election. For if you practice these qualities, look at what he says, you will never fall. And I I double-checked it. I went back to the Greek because I thought never must not mean never there. And it does. It actually means never. That if these qualities are producing fruitfulness in you, you will never fall. The reality is, and here's what the text is saying, that you and I can walk so closely with the Lord that we can abide with him daily, walk in his spirit, that we can stop falling, that we can quit saying, well, I'm just this way. And have you ever talked to somebody and they're addressing something about another person and then they say, well, it's just John. It's just the way John is. Ever heard that? Anybody raise your hand? Listen, please never say that about me. I'm serious. If, if, if you're having a conversation about me and you go, you know what? He's just, man, he's just so, he always has to be right all the time. Brand's just that way. Listen, would you come tell me? I'm serious. Please come tell me. If you've got a problem with me, come tell me. 
Because I don't want to live and stumble in the dark. I want to live in the light. I want to, I want to repent. I want to seek forgiveness from you. I want to confess the error of my ways. And I want, to, I want to live for the Lord. That's what I want. That's what we should want. Because that's what God's people do. And I pray that you and I would do that. Why? Because it doesn't make sense for us to claim to love God and continue to stumble in our ways. Did Israel love God if they stumbled for thousands of years? The answer is no. Did they say they did? Yes. God's not interested in our lips. He's interested in what we do with our lives. And friends, quite frankly, I am too. I'm interested in being partnered with fully devoted followers of Christ who seek after the Lord in all things. Let me pray for us. And let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your kindness and your goodness towards us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to love you, serve you, and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, as the band comes, I want to just encourage you that we're not leaving you right here where you are. And so one of the things that's going to help us to walk in light together is we study the scriptures together. So on Tuesday morning... There's going to be a, uh, to your email box if you're signed up for the Stone Point News and, and our devotionals, which is at stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews. If you're signed up for it at Tuesday morning, 6 a.m., you're going to get the first devotional on 1 John. We're going to go through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John together over the next couple of months. From there, we're going to go to, uh, to 1 and 2 Timothy together. And guess what? We've kind of over the last handful of months stumbled onto something. Here's what we realized. Hey, People ask me all the time, Brandon, where, where do I start studying? I'll go, you know what? I'll just help you. We'll just, we'll just guide you through the entire Bible. And so we're on a quest here at Stone Point. We're going to go through the entire Bible. I don't know if it's a year or two or three or five. I don't care. But there's no reason the people of God here shouldn't be in their Bibles. And listen, if I'm honest and I'm frank, if I go, hey, what are you studying in your Bible? And our entire church is going on a path together. Listen, I think we ought to go on a path together. And can I tell you why I think that? Here's why. Because I know how I'm wired. If I'm in a different book than you are, I don't have to be accountable to you to anything. And that's the way I'm wired. I don't like accountability. I like to rule over my own lives, right? And then Christ, he swooped in and he saved me and he changed me. But listen, we ought to be accountable to one another, friends. And so I encourage you, would you start with me, the book of 1 John? We're going to do one chapter this week, starting tomorrow morning. You'll get a devotion on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And we're going, to carry, we're, going to, we're going to do this until the Lord calls us home. And so what a great opportunity. That even frees us up in our journey groups. We don't have to have studies and a bunch of different stuff. All we got to do is in our journey group, we go, hey, man, what is 1 John teaching you? Man, he's teaching me to abide. Can I confess to you that I'm struggling with abiding because I'm lazy and I don't get up and I have different excuses and, and, and I'm, I'm crazy at work. And as soon as I get there, I got a plan to get my Bible, but I don't. So I got to confess to you that I haven't. That's what confession looks like. And you know what repentance looks like? Here's what you do. You go, but guys, I'm committed to devoting to you. I'm, convoted, I'm committed to devoting to the Lord. And so that you can ask me next week, I'll be in my Bible. And I'm not going to be in my Bible because you're going to make me be in my Bible. I'm going to be in my Bible because I love the Lord. And I know that you know I love the Lord, but I'm going to show you that I love the Lord. And you know what I do? I correct. I change course. And I get in God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is what helps me to live in a day and age where it's dark. Amen? Amen. Church, we've gone longer than we should have. Uh, man, it's a glorious thing. I love it. And if you're hungry, um, then start praying that God would change your little flesh. Okay? Amen. I'm just kidding. We love you, church. Let's stand and sing.